We're reading from John's Gospel, chapter 1, and he's talking of John the Baptist from verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We've found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. But you will see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Thanks, Carolyn. I'm going to pray and ask God to help us while we take a bit of a closer look at that passage. Gracious Father, thank you for your word. Please be with us now as we reflect on uh, this section in John's Gospel and uh, grant us a greater faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the Gospel of John is a, a piece of literary genius. It is exceptional. Apart from being scripture, uh, it's just a, such a well-told story. Talking about stories, I uh, reread the uh, classic science fiction novel Dune uh, the other day by uh, Frank Herbert. Uh, it's been made into a, uh, a new film uh, soon. Anyway, I, I thought that was a really clever, uh, well-told story. And my dad, when I told him that I was reading that, uh, he said, oh, it's a little bit cerebral for a novel, mate. Uh, I think he's more into you know, quick, easy escapes like uh, Lee Child's you know, Jack Reaper series and... Uh, uh, so, anyway, and that's apparently a good read. Uh, and upon reflection, I guess, you know, Dune was a, a bit wordy and philosophical at points, as well as just being a fantastic story with intriguing characters and uh, plots. But here's the thing. The Gospel of John, as a piece of literature, as a story, it's on another plane. Like, it is exceptional. It is truly profound. Because it details the historical life and uh, of the resurrected and ever-living Jesus uh, as 
John does this, he cleverly folds our own story into Jesus' story. Particularly as we come to read the first thing that Jesus says in this gospel. We read it in the passage. It's there in verse 38. Jesus, he turns to the two guys following him, and the first thing we're told he says is, what are you seeking? If you've got an NIV, and we read it earlier on, probably says, uh, what do you want? But what are you seeking is uh, a better take on the Greek text, which is what the New Testament uh, was originally written in. And this question, coming from Jesus, who we've been told already in John's Gospel, is the eternal word of God, God himself come in the flesh. This question is not only profound, but it is piercing. Because if Jesus is who John says, then he's turning not just to the two men in that story, he's turning to us. He's turning to the reader. He's turning to you. And he's asking, what are you seeking? Jesus is asking, what are you seeking? What are you searching for? What are you hoping for? What are you looking for? What do you live for? Is it love? The love of a lover, the love of a family member, of a friend? Love maybe that's been unmet? Or are you looking for meaning and purpose? Maybe a job that's satisfying or pays well. Maybe you're looking for uh, to have more children or some sense of peace. We're all seeking something. We're all hoping for something and Jesus knows this. That's why he's asking. Because what he's got for us is much, much more than we're looking for. Because he's more than we could ever dare to hope for. And in this passage we'll see, as the, son, as the Messiah come Lamb of God, and the Son of God come Son of Man, he's where our hopes and our hearts can only truly be satisfied. So that's where we're going in the passage today, looking at Jesus, who's firstly the Messiah come Lamb of God, Secondly, uh, the Son of God comes Son of Man, and as such, uh, it's in Him alone that we find what our hearts are truly looking for, because, well, He's more than we can dare to hope for. So firstly, uh, Jesus is the Messiah, come Lamb of God. Last week we saw uh, John the Baptist, or as my daughter likes to call him, Johnny B. Uh, Anyway, Johnny B, he sees... One day, he sees Jesus, and he says to the crowd around him, Look, the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. And then the next day, the very next day, he says the same thing. In verse 35, we read, The next day, Johnny B was there again with his two disciples. Uh, When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. Now, if you were here last week, James mentioned that nobody exactly knows uh, what Johnny B was thinking himself when he calls Uh, Jesus, the Lamb of God. Uh, It's interesting, though, that uh, Andrew, one of the disciples uh, there, he hears him say, uh, the Lamb of God, and he links it to the Messiah. So in verse 40, we see uh, Andrew, we read this, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what Johnny B had said uh, and who followed had followed Jesus. Uh, The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. So when Johnny B says the Lamb of God, Andrew hears the Messiah, which is the Aramaic word uh, for Christ or anointed one. Yeah, that is uh, the one historically anointed with oil 
to be the king of Israel. See, in the Jews' mind at the time, uh, the idea of the Messiah uh, was all wrapped up in a hoped-for king of Israel, a king uh, in the line of David, a king like David, uh, a king who'd come rich in wisdom and understanding and might and uh, a successful military and political king to restore the fortunes of Israel and bring world peace. To this thinking then, uh, some suggest that Johnny B was referring to Moses uh, when he calls Jesus the Lamb of God. Moses. Uh, there's some extra-biblical uh, evidence that suggests that at the time, Moses was thought to be a, a lamb figure, kind of outweighing Pharaoh when he brought the Israelites out from under him. And so Moses is a lamb in the sense of a liberator. Uh, the Gospel has already linked uh, Moses with Jesus in verse 17. So it's not unthinkable when Johnny B points to Jesus and says the Lamb of God, his disciples might be hearing the Messiah like Moses, the liberator, a powerful military and political king who's got God on his side, set to restore the fortunes of Israel and bring world peace by guiding people out of sin into obeying God's law. The first followers of Jesus then, they had hopes, they had hopes. Hopes of a life where God will restore Israel's fortunes and bring world peace. Hopes all centred on the Messiah. And in a sense, their hopes were fulfilled in Jesus. He would restore the fortunes of Israel. But not in the way that they thought. Uh, because Jesus is much, much more than the Messiah they were looking for. He's the Lamb of God. Johnny B, he spoke more than he knew when he called Jesus the Lamb of God. And the disciples, they spoke more than they knew when they called him the Messiah because there's no doubt that Jesus is a liberator, like Moses, a lamb of God in that sense. But what he liberates people from is so much more profound than political or economic slavery. He liberates people from God's judgment on their sin. He fulfills what the prophet Isaiah spoke about 800 years before Jesus of a servant who would take God's punishment and die for the sins of God's people. Uh, writing of this servant, Isaiah says, prophesies he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he didn't open his mouth. See, whether Johnny B knew it or not, Jesus is most definitely the Lamb of God in this Isaiah sense. He fulfills this prophecy he saves people from the punishment of their sin as he gives his life on that cross for the sins of the world, as he suffers God's judgment and death in the place of others so that they wouldn't have to. Jesus is this suffering servant in Isaiah and he does this willingly. He didn't protest his innocence when he was unjustly accused and sentenced to death as a criminal. He let himself be led like a lamb to the slaughter. He's this Lamb of God, the one who loves people this much. He's willing to give his life, his perfect sinless life, for imperfect sinful people, for us. So that all who trust in him and rely on his sacrifice would know God's healing and forgiveness and peace. Uh, the company that owns Tinder, which is a hugely popular dating app, 50 million people across the globe use it to try and find love. Uh, well, they've got in a bit of hot water recently. It's come out that certain features in this app 
have allowed sexual predators to get away with, well, basically assault. And for a number of women, uh, this app that's promised to give them the love that they are looking for has only brought them pain and heartache. Now, that's an extreme uh, and terrible case of love unmet and gone terribly wrong, but I'm sure uh, we've all put our hope in something or someone for a little bit of love and been let down. Let down either by ourselves or by others. And maybe we're a little bit jaded with every promise of love, whether it's from our lovers or family or friends, because it just seems to always come with a catch or a caveat or a condition. And that even when it's good, we know it can't last because everyone dies. Everyone leaves. And so if we're honest, the love in this world can't really satisfy. So Jesus' question, it's a piercing one then. What are you seeking? Because as the Messiah come Lamb of God, Jesus' love for us trumps all others. His love is so vast, it is breathtaking. Who is like him? Who would willingly give up the blessings due to him from God for being righteous to suffer and die under God's judgment for unrighteous, the unrighteousness of others. Now, we think of the Anzacs and their sacrifice with a good deal of uh, respect, and rightly so. We honour their sacrifice, their love for friends and country. But then Jesus is on another plane because he dies and loves people who hate him for his enemies. He lays down his life for his enemies, for sinners. So that his enemies, sinners like you and me, who deserve nothing but his rejection and nothing but God's righteous condemnation. He lays his life down for them. That kind of love is mind-boggling. And it's directed at us. So when we hear him call the Lamb of God, it's hard for our hearts to grasp the magnitude of that. The unconditional and irrevocable and eternal grandeur of that love. As the Messiah come Lamb of God, he offers us the gift of God's forgiveness. As the Lamb of God, he offers us permanent healing in our relationship with God. As the Lamb of God, he offers us an eternal clean slate with God. As the Lamb of God, he promises to set us free from seeking love in all the wrong places. From putting our hope in others who do not and cannot love us unconditionally, irrevocably or eternally. No matter how many pop songs sing about it, no matter how many apps or earthly relationships promise it, our hearts will never be truly satisfied with any love in this world because our hearts, they need and they crave more. And that more is God's love for us in Jesus, the Messiah come Lamb of God. So that's the first point. Jesus is more than we can hope for as the Messiah come Lamb of God. And secondly, he's more as the Son of God come Son of Man. So we read on the next day, Jesus calls uh, Philip, who then calls Nathaniel, who's blown away by the fact that Jesus supernaturally knew where he was before he came, he came to see him. And he says, uh, in verse 47, Nathaniel declared, 
to Jesus, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Blown away by Jesus' supernatural power, Nathaniel just can't help himself. He blurts this out. He cries out, calling Jesus the son of God, which is actually another way of saying uh, the king of Israel. Uh, a thousand years before Jesus, God promised King David an everlasting dynasty, that there would always be a descendant, a son of David on the throne of Jerusalem. And that king in the line of David came to be called the son of God with the promise that he'd rule with God over the nations, which is seen in a number of psalms, Psalm, uh, like Psalm 2 and Psalm 89. When Nathaniel says Jesus is the son of God then, uh, the king of Israel, he, he's declaring something profound. He's saying not only that Jesus is the king of Israel, but he's saying God's keeping his promise to David that the nations will finally submit to God and his anointed, his Messiah, the king of Israel, the son of God. But, as profound as that is, Jesus' response is interesting because he takes the title, Son of God, and he ups it to Son of Man. So we see from verse 50, Jesus said, You believe because I told you, I saw you under the fig tree? You see greater things than that. He then added, Very very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus calls himself this heavenly title, Son of Man. Now, at first glance, you might think, well, Son of God, that sounds impressive. Son of Man, eh, not so much. Uh, but it's actually the other way around, where Son of God is a reference to the King of Israel with this, this worldly political and military overtones. Son of Man, that's much bigger In the Old Testament book of Daniel, 600 years before Jesus, God gives the prophet Daniel a vision. A vision where he sees four great beasts representing four kingdoms rising from the earth. And then he sees God as the judge in the heavenly court judging these nations and ruling over these uh, beastly kingdoms. And then in contrast to these beastly kingdoms, Daniel sees a different ruler. A totally human figure. One like a son of man. So we read in Daniel 7, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, he was led into his presence. He was given all authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. A few things to note about this Son of Man character. Firstly, in contrast to the beastly rule of the, uh, and rulers of the world, this one is truly and utterly and wonderfully human. Secondly, he comes into God's presence and he's given God's sovereign power. And thirdly, he rules over everyone forever and he's worshipped by them as only God should be. He's truly God. This Son of Man character then is... Uh, God-ordained, all-powerful, divine and human ruler. Truly man, truly God. Who Jesus says will later raise the dead just by speaking. And Jesus calls himself this son of man. Nathaniel calls Jesus son of God. But Jesus is like, oh Nathaniel, you ain't seen nothing yet. I'm the son of man. And you will see incredible things. 
which of course he and the other disciples do, don't they? They see him, Jesus, raise the dead, Lazarus, with a word. They see him back from the dead himself. And they touch him and they eat with him. And then Jesus takes them to a hill not far from Jerusalem and they see him ascend into the sky before their very eyes to be hidden by a cloud. Sound familiar? He goes into the Father's presence on the clouds as the all-powerful Son of Man. And so while he is the Son of God, there's no doubt about that, Nathaniel was right, as the Son of Man, he's also much, much more than Nathaniel thought. In uh, Star Wars, you may remember, uh, if you've seen uh, A New Hope, episode four, perhaps one of the better episodes. Anyway, uh, you may remember Han Solo, uh, that rogue smuggler. He brags about doing the Kessel Run in the Millennium Falcon, which is his spaceship, uh, in under 12 parsecs. Which, from an astronomical perspective, doesn't really make that much sense, because a parsec is a, it's an actual measurement, uh, but it's not a measurement of time, it's a measurement of distance. A parsec is 3.26 light years, or 30 trillion 842 billion 860 million kilometres. And so to say something is 12 parsecs is to say that it's 32.819 light years away or 370 million 114 billion 320 million kilometres away. Uh, To say then that 12 parsecs is a long way Well, that's true, but it's a bit of an understatement, right? It's like saying, you know, Bill Gates is rich, or that COVID-19 is a bit of a bummer, or that a vibrant rainbow is nice, or that Jesus is the Son of God. That's true, but if it's all we say, it's a bit of an understatement. Because yes, Jesus is the Son of God, but he's also the 12 parsec powerhouse Son of Man. The one every person and every power, unseen and seen, in the universe must and will submit to. The one who holds the keys of death and Hades the all-conquering divine warrior and hero, who is for us, who fights for us, who died for us, who rose from the dead for us, who reigns with the Father for us, whose victory is ours, whose power and protection is our eternal safety and security. This is Jesus. Now, where governments and all worldly authorities falter and fail, there stands Jesus. Where social movements fade, there stands Jesus. Where sickness prevails and science is slow and finite, there stands Jesus. Jesus is more, more, much more than our hopes and our dreams can contain. If our hopes were a bucket, Jesus is the Niagara Falls pouring into it. There will never be a point when we come thinking about Jesus and we'll think, is that it? Never. 
because he's more. He's much more than we could have imagined or hoped for and so much more than anything or anyone in this world can offer. As the Messiah, come Lamb of God. As the Son of God, come Son of Man. Jesus is more than we could have dared to hope for. He's the only one who can fill our hearts and satisfy our hopes and then some. So, given we have such a wonderful, great, good, impressive, fantastic God and Saviour in Jesus, how might we seek and see him? How might we fill our hearts and hopes with him. Well, uh, even though he's not physically with us at the moment, like he was with the disciples then, I think he still give, we still get some clues uh, from the disciples about how we might seek and see Jesus and fill our hearts with him. Uh, firstly, by saying true things about him, to him. That is praising him like Nathaniel uh, does. You're the son of God, he says, the king of Israel. Uh, in his recent book on prayer, Tim Keller uh, rightly points out that while it's the least likely prayer that we do, praise, praise is the alpha prayer. It's the one kind of prayer that properly motivates, energises and shapes the other types of prayer, like confession and lament or petition or thanksgiving, because we praise what we love, and we love what we think will make us happy. And so to praise God is to love him and so find our happiness in him. And God shows us who he is in Jesus and told us what he's like in the names that he's given him, a number of which we've seen in this passage, right? And so to reorder our love and grow our happiness in Jesus, Keller suggests developing a habit of praise, of doing what Nathaniel did and praising God and Jesus by leading in our prayers, in our praise, with the names given him, like Lamb of God, like Messiah, like Son of God, like Son of Man. So it would be good to, ha- to develop a habit of praising Jesus by picking a name given to him or to God. And maybe every morning, leading with that. Leading with that name in praise. Something like, I praise you, Jesus, the Lamb of God the one who takes away the sins of the world, who takes away my sins, all praise and thanks to you. Amen. So that's the first way that we can seek and see Jesus. It's to praise him. And the second is to spend time with him. The disciples in this passage, they were quick to follow uh, him and to be with him. Andrew and his mate, they wanted to know more where he was staying so they could be with him, so they'd get to know him. And we can get to know him too in the Bible. I know that might be, it might sound like the, uh, and seem like the the application for almost every sermon, read the Bible. Uh, But it's, don't say it just so you can tick off some religious scorecard. Uh, It's because we want to seek and see and know Jesus. And it's in the Bible that we're promised to find him and have our minds blown and our hearts filled Seeing him. If you're out of the habit 
or you're not sure where to start or restart, try the Gospel of John. Read a little bit each day and ask God to see, to help you to see and to treasure Jesus. And then maybe after John, dock on over to Revelation. The book of Revelation, that's a book explicitly about who Jesus is. It'll blow your mind. Let's spend time regularly with Jesus in the Bible. And thirdly, we should seek and see Jesus, uh, to seek and see him is to invite others to meet him. Uh, as we saw in the passage, Andrew brought his brother Simon Peter, Philip brought his mate Nathaniel, and they were blown away by Jesus. Now, of course, we don't know uh, who Jesus has chosen. We don't uh, know who's going to hear about him and follow him, but we can be inviting people to consider Jesus just by including him in our conversations. Gossiping the gospel, of some has said. Now, one way is to ask uh, people what they've been reading and to really take an interest. Because more often than not, they'll ask you back. And then you can tell them what you've been reading in the Bible or some other Christian book about Jesus. And you can riff on that. You could be starting or ending the day with your kids reading a bit of the Bible with them and saying and telling them what you love about Jesus. Let's introduce others to Jesus by including him in our everyday conversations and habits. So there you have it, three ways that we might seek and see and savour this wonderful Jesus, three ways that we might fill our hearts and satisfy our souls with the only one who can truly fill us and satisfy us, the Messiah, come Lamb of God, the Son of God, come Son of Man. In wrapping up, uh, it's interesting that when the, uh, the disciples first came across Jesus here, did you notice what they did? They instantly followed him. Their faith, although it was young, small at this stage, it was true. And it worked itself out in praising Jesus there and then. Immediately wanting to spend time with him. And immediately inviting others to consider him. Because they knew, as all who have faith in Jesus... No, deep down, really, that Jesus is what our hearts are truly seeking. So why wait? Why waste your time on other loves? Why flit away the precious time that God's given you on other pursuits, preoccupations? Why fill our conversations with guff and lesser loves when we could be filling our hearts and our hopes and then some by seeking and seeing and knowing and savouring Jesus, who is much, much more than we could ever have dared to hope for or dream of. And I'm going to pray to that end now. Almighty God and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank and we praise you for your Son, our Saviour, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, Son of God, Son of Man, He is majestic and wonderful and awe-inspiring. He, he fills our hearts. Please grant us the desire to know Him more, to praise Him at any and every available opportunity, every thought that we might be thinking to praise Him, that we might be eager to spend time with him in your word. 
and that we might be inviting others to consider him and to meet with him as well, peppering our conversations with him. Please, help us to see that only Jesus can satisfy our hearts and that we would fill our hearts with him day in and day out, that he would be our first thought and our final thought, our best thought, and that we would love him and love him deeply because he is just so wonderful and majestic and we praise you for him. Amen.